All right, well, good morning again, uh, and again, welcome, AC3. I'm really glad that you're here. This has uh, been a transformative series, I think. I don't know if you've been kind of looking around the, uh, the subculture of AC3, but the buzz has been big time over this whole mutiny challenge. And so we've been looking all month at the excess in our American lives. And I think uh, considering a kingdom lifestyle in light of that has been a, a huge challenge, and we've got one more to face today. Uh, it's interesting when you think about it, it's somewhat ironic, I think, when you think that of all the things that we have too much of, right, too much stuff, too much food, too much media, that, that of all the most damaging things that we have too much of, the thing in your life perhaps that's most damaging is too much stuff to do. That things to do, that the excess of things to do, the excess of things on our calendar could be the most poisonous thing that we have too much of. So I want you to think right now of your uh, schedule. I want you to toggle now through your, your weekly uh, uh, list of responsibilities. Average week, you go to your outlook and you say, well, what do I work? What, what, what are the hours? And some of you, it's a typical week. It's 40 hours. Some of you, it's a lot more than that. It's 50 or it's 60, maybe 70. Think about your average week. And I want you to ask yourself kind of what that load is on you and where the breaks are in your schedule. Now, I don't want you to consider the number of hours that you sit down at a desk. I want you to think about all the things that you carry, the load that you carry, the load that you carry home, the psychic load that walks in with you through the door at night that affects your emotional availability, that affects relationships, that maybe affects your presence in the home. Okay? I want you to think about all that stuff. And now as you consider that, now I want you to turn your minds to the spaces in your life when you're not working. So what does it look like? What are those spaces filled up with? Sports practices, maybe, uh, travel to kids' games, uh, group meetings. You've got coffees that you go to regularly, maybe uh, working out, extracurricular school activities, volunteering work, driving to and from daycare, vacations and hobbies and traveling. What, what, what are all those gaps filled in with? And if you can say honestly here this morning, you know, Rick, I don't have any gaps. You're not alone. You're, you're there with all the people that kind of parade through the counselor's office. You're there with the millions of Americans who are overburdened and overstressed, who are burned out, and every day they feel like they could take a two-hour nap. Is that you? You think, you know, every day, Rick, I could, I could sleep for two hours if I was allowed. But that's just so interesting, isn't it? Because we're so caught, are we, in this unsustainable pace that we actually think we don't have a choice in the matter. We don't get to choose the pace of our life, right? So what is it that makes us feel like we can't choose, that we're actually slaves to the overburden, the crushing burden of stress in our lives? Maybe it's a comparison thing, AC3. You're looking at your neighbor, and it's some comparison deal that's got you caught up in a, in a crushing way of life that you don't feel like you have a choice to get off the treadmill. Maybe for some of you, it's due to a sense of guilt. There is some condemning voice in your past maybe it's a voice of a dead person that you used to know maybe it's a voice of some you know overbearing uh mentor in your life that that is tis tisking you if you are not out there saving the world or at least dying killing yourself trying to and if you don't you're lazy good for nothing there's somebody maybe in your life and you're working for that person Whatever it is, friends, we feel caught, don't we? We feel like we really don't actually have a choice. Like you couldn't just flip a switch and say, it'll be different tomorrow. Why? I want you to think about that because there are some people in this room, perhaps, uh, who have entered into a toxic way of life 
And it is soul-crushing because it is attacking the relationships that matter the most. The relationships with your children, with your spouse, and with your God. And ironically, the wall-to-wall activity you say to yourself is for your children and your spouse and your God. Isn't that something? So God knows that you weren't made to live like that. So guess what? When he's laying out commandments for life, the commandments that breathe life, the commandments of love, right there in the middle he gives us something that were meant to get us off this overburdened life. Look at commandment number four. This is from God to Moses, to the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 20, our text for today. God says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So guess what, AC3? Everybody knows about the commandment. Commandment number four. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But a lot of us don't think about the context in which it's framed. The fourth commandment is framed in the context of creation. What God does in the creative periods as he makes everything. And so what does it say? It says that God works, God creates, and then God rests. Think about that. God rested. And if that doesn't blow you away just a little bit, then perhaps you're not thinking about it. This is the Almighty. So when you think about that, you've got to ask yourself, what's going on here? Because clearly the Almighty doesn't struggle with exhaustion, right? The Almighty isn't stressed out and he doesn't need an hour in the counselor's office. The Almighty is not lacking for strength, right? God himself isn't uh, needing a vacation. God didn't get to the end of the creation week and say, well, thank me, it's Friday. Woo. You know, that didn't happen. So what is going on? God apparently is seeing fit to build a rhythm into the very fabric of creation. And here it is. Are you ready? The rhythm is work, rest. The rhythm is activity and reflection. The rhythm is production and then gratitude. And that's a rhythm he baked into the very nature of creation, and now he commands you to live in harmony with it. Where you pause from work to acknowledge there is something beyond the world of work, beyond the world of the physical, beyond productivity and what can be gained through work in the here and now. You pause from all that. Because like there's like, like two worlds clearly being implied here. You pause from the world of work to consider another world. And isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And how you gain it? By, by frantic activity, you can gain the whole world. And Jesus said, okay, imagine you had that whole big pile. Now compare that big pile with your soul. And he's just asking you to compare the value of these two things. The value of the whole world, which is temporary and going away, with your soul, which lasts for forever. So here's Jesus, right? And if he's to be believed then what this means is that this world is not forever, that this world is a nursery. This world is your soul's incubator, so to speak, where in which we form what it's going to be for forever. And that means that we need a regular reminder then of real life 
that's coming next. And whatever that next life is, it's not about profits and it's not about productivity. It's not about cars and houses and schedules and commitments. It's not. So this is your opportunity to remember and to prepare. Speaking of which, we had friends uh, that we knew real well a while back, and they got a dog. It's come to mind this week because we're in the dog business now. Jason just got a dog. So we're back in that whole deal. Well, this, the, the, our friends got a beautiful dog. I mean, this was a, uh, a, a purebred fox terrier, championship bloodlines. She was originally bought for $3,000. This is the kind of dog where you put a chip in the butt because you always want to know where the dog is, Okay. That's how important the dog is, right? You, you put a chip so that from space, we can find out where your dog is, okay? This dog mattered, right? This dog was really important. $3,000 dog. She's bred twice a year for championship pups. She's kenneled 22 of, of, of 24 hours every single day. She's fed a very strict diet. She has almost no human contact. She's valuable for one thing, what she could produce. Well, it turns out that she only had small litters. And she threw the wrong size of pup. So eventually, they just gave her away for a song. And that's where my friend stepped in. They loved her. They renamed her Dooley because she would ride in their Dooley trailer to vacation places in the lap of luxury. She would love humans. She would know human contact and human affection. She would know treats and runs in the park. But guess what, AC3? The thing, the funny thing about Dooley was... There was a massive adjustment period. You know what? She had only known the cold concrete kennel floor for her whole life. So she had a real weird thing about carpet and potty training. Okay? That was really weird for her. And uh, she was shy and anxious with new humans. The whole thing was a really difficult adjustment. See, unbeknownst to Dooley, she was going to have two lives. Didn't know it. And she was woefully unprepared for her second life. Her second life turns out to be her real life, but she was not prepared for it at all by her first life. In her first life, value was assigned by usefulness. Value was assigned by productivity alone. Her second life, value was assigned by relationship. Value was assigned by rest. And for that, she was not prepared. AC3, Sabbath is God's way of preparing you for real life. Sabbath is God's way of preparing you for your next life, which is your real life. So here's what he says. Sabbath is God's way of getting you out of the kennel and allowing you to play for a little bit. It's his way of saying, my child, this world is just an incubator. It's a kennel to keep you for a while. Someday you'll enter into your real life where you are more than what you can produce. So start practicing now. That's what God is saying in this beautiful, beautiful command. Rest. I mean, no wonder then when we don't honor the Sabbath, we become exhaustive, obsessive, preoccupied with self, ungrateful, paper-thin relationships and marriages. You know, we, we think, this is it. I, you know, I'm just a biological machine, and I'm here for what I can produce, so better get to it. God says, no, that's not all you are. This is a testing ground for what your soul will be. So here in the Sabbath, you shall remember what really matters. You're going to remember, why were you made? What really matters? What has lasting meaning? Who do you belong to? And you remember every week. So the Bible says, you in this kennel world, six days a week, you will run. 
Six days a week you will earn. Well, you will work, and you will earn. You will earn your living by the sweat of your brow from a thorn-infested ground. Six days a week you will produce, and then the seventh. It's my day. That day belongs to me. And that is a day you will remember whose you are. It's a beautiful thing, AC3. What a, what a permission God gives us in the middle of this. So it comes down through the Jewish people, and Jesus comes along uh, uh, 1,500 years after Moses lays down the law, and everyone says, okay, so no work. Well, what does that mean? We need to define exactly what that means, no work. So they started making up rules about the rules. This is no lie. So the Pharisees said, okay, so if you carry anything heavier than a plum, that's work. No, no. And they said, if you walk longer than half a mile, that's work. No, no. Right? So they made up all these rules. In fact, it got so ridiculous. One rabbi went so far as to say that he wouldn't eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath because that meant that the hen had been working. Maybe it's just me, but it seems to me there will be a whole lot more work to hold the egg in all Sabbath. But, you know, that's just me. You know, like, I'm not a girl, so I wouldn't know how that goes down. So, 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 so Jesus said, listen, no more of that nonsense, okay? No more of the rules about the rules, right? Human man-made stuff that are, that are designed somehow to protect God's rule. No more of that stuff, he said. He said, People weren't made for the rule, understand? The rule's made for the people. God made the rule as a permission to his children. And so it's a fantastic permission. It's a gift. It's, it's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Now, some of you, you look at your own schedule. You have no choice about working on Sunday, for example. Well, the Bible says, Romans chapter 14, Paul's really clear about this because already the early church was debating about the sacredness of certain days. Sabbaths and that kind of thing and, and Paul says look one day is not more sacred than another And because they kind of began to look at all of life that way every day is sacred If you're a Christian God makes everything every day is sacred Then they felt permission to actually lift their Sabbath keeping from Saturday the traditional Jewish time to Sunday to honor the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Which happened on Sunday so that's how kind of how that whole transition happened Christians felt the permission because no one day is more sacred than another however God embedded Sabbath-keeping into the fabric of the moral law. It's there with all the other Big Ten, friends. Don't murder and honor your parents and don't lie and don't steal and that whole thing. There it is embedded into the fabric of moral law. So Sabbath isn't just a suggestion. It's not a ceremonial regulation. It's not just a cool concept. The Sabbath is holy. Sabbath is holy. So this week, to mutiny against excess work, excess stress, excess activity excess anxiety and worry we must become committed sabbath keepers and for some of you that was scarier than turning your television off for seven days let's talk about it if you're going to become a sabbath keeper the first thing is you're going to have to commit to rest the bible says on the sabbath day god rested he quit working he stopped working now sabbath comes from this hebrew word that originally meant to pause or to stop well as in all cases, God never makes a rule or a guideline without our best interests at mind. So here he commands us to pause because he has us in mind. Jesus' command is for us. Therefore, we ignore the command at our own peril. And to give you a sense of this, about how this is really for us and how we were made to function, um, let me tell you a little story. Uh, this was years ago now. 
I swapped cars with a friend of mine for a couple weeks. The reason was we were going on vacation. We were going east of the mountains. And as you know, east of the mountains, it gets hot in the summertime. Well, my car didn't have AC. And actually, the truth of the matter is it had AC, but the air conditioning wasn't working. And that's why I bring this up. See, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't working on my car. There's a lot of stuff, like the intermittent wipers weren't working, and it had a really hard pull to the left, and the dome lights weren't working, and the speedometer wasn't working, and the paint on the hood was badly modeled, and not to mention that the seats had a whole lot of McDonald's french fries stuck in the middle of them, and because uh, you know, a lot of trips through the drive-thru, eating in the car the way God intended in the Thiessen household. So that's the way my car was. You know, that's the way it looked. My friend's car, though only a year newer, was completely different. I mean, it was always immaculate. It was clean. It had, the paint was gleaming all the time. He washed the thing every week, frame undented, unscratched, unmarked. You could eat off the grill as opposed to my car where the kids sometimes ate off the seat. You had leftover food that was there. So, so his, car, his car looked too nice to drive. So here's how it went down, right, when, when we got together to trade cars, we exchanging keys. And I just kind of look at his car, very generous offer, and I look at his car and say, I don't feel comfortable driving something like this. And he looks at my car and says, I don't feel comfortable driving something like this. <laughs> and so, you know, so what was real clear is the difference between his car and my car and the reason for the difference, right? It comes down to one word. What's the word? Maintenance. Care. I mean, my friend was obsessive in his care for his automobile. Well, you can't ignore the, the maintenance of something and, then, and not expect that there won't be a cost on the back end. No, the same thing with the human machine. We were made, we were designed to rest. And you ignore that over the long haul at your own peril. Friend, Sabbath is part of God's owner manual for your body and your soul. So he says, rest, it's okay. God in heaven, I'm the ultimate authority, and I'm telling you it's all right. Rest. So set aside a whole day, a whole day, every seven days. And you rest, you don't work. You try to violate this over the long haul, and you'll pay, because it's against the owner's manual. And now we know this, right, what lack of rest is doing to us as a culture. You look at a lot of the accidents on the freeway, it's, it's, it's fatigue-related. Somebody falls asleep and causes a horrific accident. Increasing risks of serious health problems, lack of sex drive, premature aging of your skin, forgetfulness, weight gain. We trace all these things back to fatigue and overwork. All those things. Now, funny thing, right? How God just kind of knew this about us, right? And it hurts us physically to not rest. But guess what? It's a moral commandment. There it is, built into the Big Ten moral commandments that carry into the New Testament period. Jesus abrogates the ceremonial laws that the Jews had to um, obey. But there we are still using the moral law as a guide for discipleship, how God wants to, us to live a life of love. There it is. We, we should rest. Now, question, why do we not rest? We would say to God, well, it's just a physical thing, and uh, you're just looking out for me. I really appreciate it, God, but if you don't mind, I'm going to plow through this week. You know, thank you for looking out for me. I really appreciate it, but I know my own body rhythms and all that kind of stuff. I don't need a rest every seven days. I can go, 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 go. Thanks, but no thanks. There's a spiritual thing behind this that has more to do than just with your body's rhythms and fatigue and, and physical stress. It's an issue of faith and trust. 
That's what's ultimately behind why we often cannot rest. The question, AC3, do you trust God enough to rest? Do you trust him enough to rest? See, a lot of us don't think what's actually going through our hearts when we refuse to pause. What may be going through your heart is something like this. My devotion to work and success is more important than obeying you, God. And you'd never say it out loud, but that's the truth. Or maybe something like this, a sentiment like, I'm not so sure you're going to come through with, for me if I honor the rhythm of rest, so I'm not going to. Or maybe it's something like this. My ego couldn't stand to let this ball drop, to let this responsibility fall. I'll be looked at poorly by others, and the shame, I can't handle it. So if you don't mind, God, I'm going to plow through another seven days. You'll understand. Besides, it's not like a rigid thing, right? OAC3, God understands. And what he understands is this, that all disobedience comes from lack of faith. Sometimes you think your disobedience comes from the fact that you're just such a rebellious scamp. And maybe that's in there because it's in me. But the biggest piece of our disobedience, AC3, comes first from a lack of faith. First, because we don't trust. Now think about that for just a second. God understands this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So every seven days, AC3, 24 hours, God says rest means you let go of the steering wheel. That's what rest says. You're letting go of the steering wheel, and that's going to require that you trust. So can you rest? Second thing a Sabbath keeper commits to, not just rest, but reflection. Look at this. This is an interesting thing. Again, we're connecting Sabbath to, to creation. In the opening words of Genesis, after God's work, the Bible says he didn't just speak things into existence and then plunge ahead to the next creative activity. Right Before the Sabbath day, God actually Sabbaths in between each creative period. He pauses, apparently for a really long time, in between his creative work to reflect on what he has done. Because the Bible says, behold, God said it was good. So after each creative period, he pauses, and he has a little mini Sabbath in the middle of his week and says it's good. He reflects, he savors, he revels in what he's made. Now I can... I can relate to this. I'm made in the image of God, and I make things, right? All of us make things. Um, I like to paint. Uh, I don't do nearly as much of it as I used to or as much as I'd like to, but some oils and landscapes, and trust me, I'm under no delusions as to the quality of the, of the workmanship here. No Van Gogh, you know, kind of thing. But here's what happens is I'll make something. I'll create something, a landscape, and I'll work on that. And I'll go to sleep, and I'll come back, and I'll, I'll, I'll savor it the next day. I'll go to where my easel is, and I'll just look it over. And I'll say, yeah, I made that. I made that. And I know that it's not excellent because it's coming from these hands. But then I think, I am made in the image of God, and I make stuff. Have you ever paused to reflect on the stuff that you make? Have you ever paused to consider the productivity of your life and just gone, I mean, just a pause to let God let you breathe in the middle of your activity to say it's good, to uh, enjoy the gratitude of it. And friends, that is what will begin to arise in your soul. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about the challenge that we'll take into next week. And it'll include pausing not just on a, on a weekend or a day, but pausing in the middle of every day 
And there's some of that that we can do to become Sabbath keepers. Here's a third thing. Another thing Sabbath keepers do is recreate. So here's what we do. We engage in some activities, some hobbies, some crafts or pastimes, games, not because um, they have utilitarian value, not because they grant you business context, not because they keep you thin, but just because they breathe life into you and they remind you of the sheer goodness of God in your life. You recreate. You get recreated. It's the perfect word for this. You get remodeled. You get restored in recreative activities, creative things. And in doing so, of course, we model a God who is creative. Again, let's go back to the creation account. You see God saying, this is good. This is good. I mean, you can almost hear the, 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 the dialogue in, inside God's own mind. Oh, let's make an aquarium. Let's get out my weather kit. This ought to be fun. You know, let's make a giraffe. Let's see how weird we can make one of these things look. I mean, that, just, that neck is not entirely necessary, is it? Really? Yeah, a peacock, you know, the... And there, what, what is the utilitarian value in this? There's some pieces of creation that seem to be purely whimsical, made by a God who plays. A God who plays. So I think we need to uh, allow God to recreate us. Some of, uh, some of you restore things. You restore old automobiles. Well, guess what? Sabbath is where you get restored back to mint condition through recreation, being recreated. What are the things that recreate you? Do those things. Set aside time every week where you do those things. Maybe it's climbing a mountain. Maybe it's music. Maybe you love to cook and get together with those who love to cook. Or maybe you love to eat and get together with those who love to cook. You know, maybe that, you know, restores your soul. Uh, you know, maybe it's athletic competition. What is it? Sabbath keepers are involved in rest and reflection, and they recreate so that they can be recreated every week. And then here's a fourth thing, and most importantly, they remember. They remember. Remember the Sabbath, God says, and keep it holy. You know that word remember keeps on coming up in connection with the Sabbath. Remember. Remember. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm, and that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Get it? You pause to remember. You pause in order that you remember. Why? Well, God knows remembering does stuff. It changes us. It orders our inner world. Remembering calls to mind the day of our deliverance. Remembering calls to mind the day of grace to get you centered again in the goodness of God and get you into a moment of gratitude for the, for the way God delivers us. And speaking of delivery, I still remember the day that my oldest son, Joran, was born, that he was delivered to us. And what a day. And just remembering stirs the embers of affection. Remembering stirs so many things. I remember the feeling uh, I'd have never had before when the baby heart monitor dipped down below 60. 60 beats a minute. Jaden, or Jordan was all stressed out in the middle of the birth canal, kind of descended too fast and got stuck. And, and then the look of concern on the midwife's face. And then we moved from the birthing center, uh, a rush journey across the street to the ER in the hospital. And I remember Johnny getting prepped for surgery. And I remember my heart and my throat as I thought to myself, everything I have in the world is going into that operating room. Prep for emergency C-section. 
And finally, Joran does come out. Um, he's all blue, not breathing, cone-headed from a rough go in the birth canal, my firstborn Smurf. <laughs> and uh, so the moment of stress was not over. They whisk him away to the side table, you know, and, and they're getting him going. And finally he breathes, and then he screams. Uh, and all oh, the relief, I remember. I, I will never forget, I remember the amazing relief when I heard him scream. And it's funny, you know, because I don't have the same reaction when he screams now or ever after that. I did not feel any relief after that. But that day, that day, I felt the relief and the love. You know this, parents. You know. You see this person in the instant. They just, you die for them. I remember so many things, AC3. I remember a thousand things because remembering stirs up the embers of my love and calls to mind the day of delivery, the day of deliverance, the day of grace. So is it a surprise that when Jesus lifts up the bread and the wine, the first word out of his mouth is, remember. Remember. Will you remember the day of your deliverance? That's what Jesus is saying in the bread and the wine. He's saying, this is the day of your deliverance. This is the day that you were set free from your slavery to sin. This is the year of jubilee for you. Remember, never forget, this is the day that you were released from slavery. The debtor's debt was paid in full, and God remembers your sin no more. This is the Now, some of you have gotten into a weird church habit. You know, it's like uh, song time. Rick yaks on and on. And that's what it's become for you. Instead of remembering, this is, this is remembering. This is remembering the day of my deliverance. Every seven days, I need to be recalibrated in the grace of God, which saved me from my own rebellious self. The power of God which can obliterate all regret from my past, which can be my constant comfort and fill my cup for today and can be my power for every challenge tomorrow, every seven days. I can be recalibrated in that grace every seven days. Remember. So AC3, will you join me in becoming a Sabbath keeper? Maybe rescue this whole thing, right, from legalism. Rescue it from our lack sense of who cares. And, and finally, finding it the permission and the grace of God. Will you declare mutiny with me against excess? Excess work, excess stress, excess anxiety, and the burdens of this life? I hope you will, and you agree to another week-long experiment by agreeing with me to pause. So how are we going to do that? Well, I want to invite Lori out here, and she's going to walk us through the application of this. Will you join us in the challenge? Here's our mutiny challenge for this week. Hi there. So first things first, you are hereby released from the media challenge. Can I get an amen? Okay. If you did the media challenge, you either had limited media or none for the week for entertainment purposes. So now you can add that back in and go back to watching Baby Goats on YouTube and Downton Abbey. So there you go. There's going to be a brief time and extended to debrief this whole um, challenge and what it meant to you. So stick around for that if you can. If you're just catching up with us, uh, we're declaring a mutiny on excess, 
and we're using the book Seven by Jen Hatmaker as a tool to have challenges each week that help us attack these excesses in our own lives. It helps us be aware of our own and also of the needs of parts of the world where they don't have enough. This week's challenge, as Rick said, is a mutiny on stress. So how are we going to do that, um, you might be asking. Are we going to load all our stress up in a box and take it to Goodwill? You know, that's just not going to work. So we're going to attack this mutiny on stress by spending deliberate time with God this week. So rather than getting rid of something, we're going to be adding something. And as we add more God time to our lives, we're going to be pushing the stress out automatically. So like the other weeks, this is going to have two levels of challenge. The first one is to spend one hour a day with God. Um, for some of you, that's going to be easy. You're already doing it. And for others, this is going to be a big stretch. If you can, make it one complete hour so you have time to commune, get rid of uh, you know, the, the noises in your head, and just spend time with God. If you think, there is just no way I have an hour to spend with God in a day. There's no way. Then go out to our AC3 Facebook page, which is now legal to do. You can all do that. And look at the video that John made that tells you how to find the extra hour in your day. So there's a burn the ship challenge part two. So in addition to this hour a day, we're going to be praying the seven offices throughout the day. If you're not familiar with offices, they're just a way to have a rhythm throughout the day where we pause our activities at seven specific times and focus on a guided prayer. We've compiled this handbook for you of seven daily offices to use as a guide. And this is going to be helpful, especially if you've never done the offices before. There's nothing supernatural about the words printed here. It's just a matter of stopping, resting in God, and recognizing him. Okay, there's two times in the day where you'll read scripture as a part of the offices, and they're listed in the front of this booklet, and there are different ones for different days. If you forget and do things at the wrong time or you think you're doing it wrong, don't worry. You're getting the point of the offices. So here's what it's going to look like for me. Tomorrow, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. and turn to the 6 a.m. reading, get in a quiet space, focus on God, and say the offices while I give God my complete attention. At 9 a.m., I'm going to stop what I'm doing if I can and say the 9 a.m. office. I'll do the same thing at noon, 3, 6, 9, and midnight. And in addition, I'm going to have my one hour of quiet time with God a day. The prayer for this week, we've had a prayer focus for each week, and this week it's going to be pray for unburdening and healing for yourself and for others. There's an unseen community aspect to this, too. So when I'm up at 6 and thinking, why did I agree to do this? I'm going to be reading the Lord's Prayer. That's what it's called at 6 a.m. And I know that Jana is going to be reading it at her place and focusing on the same words. And Dan and Brenda are going to be doing it at their house and so on. So there's this unseen uh, spiritual community aspect to this. So there's a tips page at the front of the booklet to kind of guide you on how to do that. But the main point is to stop, relax, and enjoy God's presence. There is a wrong way to do the offices, and that is to do them quickly so you can check them off as a task and say that you did it. That's not the point at all. Coming off this media fast, you might find that you don't add back in all the media that you used to. So this will be a nice dovetail to add time with God in some of those spaces where you didn't have media before. And as, we've, as some of that media space took away from us, this God space will be adding to us. So as the spirit gets more time in your life, you'll find the stress just naturally leaking away from you. And remember, this is not about rules. It's about the recognition of God in our lives, all the days of our lives, all the minutes of our days. And may God show you great things this week. All right, everybody, let's bow our heads together and we'll pray.
God, we pray in the words of the great saint of yours, dear artist of the universe, beloved sculptor, singer, and author of my life, born of your image, I have made a home in the open fields of your heart. The magnetic tug of your invitation to grow is slowly transforming me into a gift for the world. Mentor me into healthy ways of living. Help me remember to pause. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, AC3. Thanks for taking in this challenge. So if you want to debrief from your media fast last week, we're going to do that. Also meet the koalis right here in extended in two minutes. And then we'll see you all here next week for our family series. Invite a friend. We'd love to have them.